United Methodist Church. Loving as God intends through helping, healing, and home. Good morning. Today we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series, Love is the Greatest, which also means that we're going to be reading all of chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. We begin, hear these words of Paul. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of God's word. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to be able to gather together, even remotely, and to turn our attention collectively to your scriptures. We pray this morning that we might hear your voice speaking to us, touching our hearts, breaking them, so that we can be transformed into the people that you've called and created us to be. I pray for a clarity of thought and that you would hide me behind your cross so that it is you, your grace and your mercy, your love and your peace, your justice and your righteousness that we would experience here today. I pray all these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So in this chapter, Paul begins by talking about this idea of speaking in tongues, and he talks about how, and, and having the gift of prophecy, and he talks about if you don't have love, that, that none of these things matter. And nobody can hear you, nobody can hear what you're saying if you're not speaking with, with love in your hearts and, and exuding love in your words. And so now, as we get down to verse 
8, he brings us back around to this idea, the, the, the conversation about prophecy and the conversation about speaking in tongues. And, and what he's talking about is this idea of, of speaking of the divine. Is what, he, is what he, by combining this idea of speaking in tongues or speaking unknown tongues, speaking in the voice of, uh, in the words of angels, in the language of angels, and connecting it to prophecy, what he's talking about is, is the way that we speak about the divine. And he's pointing out that, that tongues and prophecy, that these are functions that serve a particular needs, uh, serve particular needs of a community within time and history. So there's a purpose for them. These are a gift that, that God has given for a specific time and a specific place in history right now at this time. But, but, it's, but the scope of those gifts is limited to this human performance. And then he talks about how the present, grace as it is with God's love alive in the community at, at Corinth specifically, but it's still only a partial reflection like that of a mirror whose glass is not clear of what is yet to come. And so he's saying that, that these gifts that, he, that God gives us are for these times, these moments, when we can't see clearly. And it's an opportunity for us to hear and to share uh, and, and engage in conversations and acts of the divine. But if we're not doing it in love, then actually it's useless. And we're not helping ourselves or helping others in this time where we don't see clearly. And then he goes into this whole thing about how uh, when he was a child. And I began to think about that. Like, how is he connecting like, this idea of this knowledge that's given to us by God and how it's, it's timely, it's in this specific uh, place and this specific time for a specific purpose in order to help us understand, help us grow in our knowledge of God. How is he then connecting this idea of growing up to all of that? And I began to think about this. So as we grow up, our understanding and knowledge over time change. So for example, when I was a child, I, I was living with my grandma and grandpa and my mom. And I, and I believed that anything that my mom said, anything that my grandfather said or my grandmother said, or, or really any adult at that point in my life, that what they said was true and, and that they knew everything. If I had any questions about anything, I, I knew I could ask my grandfather and he would, he would be able to give me an answer. And I believed that whatever answer he gave me, that that was the truth. And then as I grew up um, and I became a teenager, it actually flipped, right? And I began to believe that, no, that nobody knew better than me, that I, I was the one who knew better, and whether it be because of my experience that I thought that I had as a teenager, whatever the case may be, I began to feel that I knew better and that I was the one that knew everything. Well, then as I continued to grow and I continued to get older, my, my understanding and my knowledge again began to change, and I began to realize that actually nobody, not myself, not my mother, not my father, not my grandfather, my grandmother, my aunts and uncles. Nobody actually had a corner on all knowledge. We, we all, there's all, there's things that none of us know. And that's what Paul's talking about, this idea that, that we, we don't know. We, we only see, like, in a mirror dimly lit. And so he, what he's doing is he's connecting this to this idea of growth. 
And I think what should happen, actually that, that's a natural progression, we should get to the point where we acknowledge the fact that we don't know everything. And we'll think about this like, let's, let's put it in terms of our faith development. So when we're children, whatever the Sunday school teacher tells us, whatever our parents tell us about faith, like that's, that's just the truth. And we don't, we don't question it at all. And then for many of us, we then begin to question our own faith. I used to think that my, my faith journey was unique, but the older I get, the more I realize everybody goes through this, or at least I think in a healthy development, healthy growth, we should all go through this. And, and we begin to question the things that we've been taught, and we begin to develop our own understanding. And for many of us, we then begin to believe that what I believe, the way I understand, is the truth, and there's no room for anything else. And so we only listen to the people that tell us the same things that we already believe. We only read the books that, uh, of what people are telling us that we already agree with. And we like to listen to pastors that tell us the things that we already think. But, but the natural healthy growth that Paul's talking about here is that we then have to come to the point, the realization, where we realize that actually I don't know everything with regards to God. I don't know everything with regards to faith. And neither does my pastor, neither does my Sunday school teacher, neither do my friends, neither does the person who wrote the latest book that I've read. And, and when we can reach that point, what we're left with, what, the only thing that we can truly rely on, what Paul is saying here, the only thing that we can truly rely on is faith, hope, and love. And, and the greatest of these is love. You see, because if we try to cling with all of our strength to our own understanding, then there actually is no need for faith and hope. Because we've got it all figured out. But what Paul is saying is you have to reach the point where you realize you don't have it all figured out. And it's in that moment that love is allowed to erupt into our lives. Faith and hope are enabled by God's grace through the gifts Right, through the ability to, uh, th the specific ones that, that Paul's talking about here is through prophecy, uh, through speaking in unknown languages, and through sometimes this special knowledge that we're able to glean and to gain from, from studying the scriptures together, being in community of faith together, and, and challenging one another. These are all gifts from, uh, from God, and, and because of these moments, what we get is faith and hope in what we're reading and what we're hearing and what we're seeing. But God's self does not, quote-unquote, believe in the same way that we believe. And nowhere does Paul say that God hopes. But God does love. And, and so do believers. And so love's being and existing is tied to God's very self. And in, in loving, we as believers, we have the opportunity to participate with God in a very special, unique, and even reciprocal way. So I was thinking about this. And it, my grandfather served in World War II. And I shared this in person last week, but I didn't share it online. So I want to I share the story again. So my grandfather, he served in World War II, 
and he was in the army. And he came in through southern France, and they were making their way up into, into southern Germany. And at one point, you know, he, the details were lost, obviously. Um, my grandfather later in life shared some of these stories with us, but for the most part, he kept these stories to himself. But he shared this one story in particular where they had captured German soldiers. They were the German regular soldiers, as he put it. They weren't the SS. And they had captured them, and they were going through, and they had already removed all of their weapons. But now it was the time for my grandfather and a couple other soldiers to remove all of their personal effects as well. And so they were going through, and they were taking, like, if they had... Um, you know, pictures or, or little books. Some of them had little Bibles in German. And, and so they were taking all of those things from them. And my grandfather got to this one guy, he said was about the same age as he was. And he started emptying out his pockets and he went to hand my grandfather a picture. And in the picture, there was what looked to my grandfather to be the man's wife and son, infant son. And in that moment, my grandfather was, uh, he, he wasn't looking necessarily at that man's picture, but he was looking at the picture of his own wife, my grandmother, and my uncle, John, who he had left this infant son back in the United States. And, and in that moment, that's what he was seeing. And he had this immediate connection to this, to this German soldier, and he handed the picture back. To him, And last week we talked about this idea that, that there's this loving that takes place. And in that moment, my grandfather, even though he didn't necessarily love, as we might understand love as an emotion, he didn't necessarily love the soldier. He, he was engaged in an act of loving towards that soldier. And, and this week I want us to think about this, that same story, but, but not only was, my, was that soldier a recipient of this loving act, of my grandfather. He also, through my grandfather, was experiencing the love of my grandmother. Because they, it was the love that they shared together that allowed my grandfather to, to see this person in a different light and to reach out to him in a different way and to be engaged in a, in a, act, in a loving act. And so in a small way, that soldier also experienced the love of my grandmother. And, and, and so in the same way, this, this idea of this reciprocal way, this, this way that it continues to move and to grow, is that when we're engaged in these, in these moments of loving acts with other people, they have the opportunity to also, through us, experience the love of God. Love never ends. Because God's eternal love is the ground and the material for all human loving. So when we love, God's love continues on. It becomes this eternal love. And so how is it the greatest? Right? Because what Paul says over and over again is that love's, love will last forever. Love will last forever. This one thing that will last forever. But he says the greatest of these. He says that that. Hope, faith, and love will all last forever. But love is the greatest thing. And so how? Well, I think, um, first, love is the greatest in that there is going to be a time, right, when, when hope and faith are going to come to a natural conclusion. 
especially when they're so connected to the, to the gifts that we have, which are good. In fact, he's going to go on and talk about how we should want those gifts so that we can grow in our understanding and knowledge of God. And so these things are all going to come to a conclusion. So that's one way I think that love is the greatest. I think there's another way. Love is the greatest because it's the very material of the life of faith. It's the grounds, it's the essence. God's love for people becomes this force that enables us to love others. And in that way, love is the greatest because it becomes the motivation. I'm reminded of what John writes when he says that God is love. Which brings me to the last way, I think, that love is the greatest. Love is the greatest because it's also our greatest need. Amen.